0: HBO and CBS launch streaming-only subscription models, but is this the disruption of TV or of the Internet? And it's the coming ad colossus that could dwarf Facebook and Twitter. It's called Pinterest. Yes, that's right, Pinterest. This is episode six of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media.
1: Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey.
0: Welcome once again to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey.
1: And I'm still Tom (laughs) Asacker.
0: Topic one this week. HBO and CBS launched streaming-only subscription models, but is this the disruption of TV or the Internet? You know, lots of talk about the Internet disrupting television. And interestingly this week, uh, this week's piece is from... Um, Hollywoodreporter.com. It's by Michael Wolf who talks about this stuff all the time. And he's really analyzing this from a different perspective. And he kind of puts it on its head by saying, look, this isn't the internet disrupting TV. This is TV gobbling the internet. He begins by kind of an analysis of Uh, The trend of all digital media in the direction of video, because that's where the money is. He talks about all the stuff we've heard a million times, the uh, endless amounts of real estate online and the fact that the more real estate you have to sell, the lower the price, the more the battle for attention. And it's a a, a terrible downward spiral, except the saving grace of video, especially premium video, video that people want to see and its opportunities for higher ad fees, hence everyone's movement towards video. And then he goes on to talk about how Netflix, which is usually used as kind of being the icon of disruption of television, is in many ways um, I, 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 uh, uh, is in many ways representing television more than it is. Uh, battling television with this this paragraph he said it's the netflix model that breaks from web formats and reverts to tradition and reverts to tra- traditional premium tv it charges subscription fees it licenses content largely tv content and now it makes a la hbo highly regarded programming using top talent other than residing on the web as an app uh, Netflix actually rejects the conventions of digital media. It is not user-generated. It is not social. It's not bite-sized. It is not free. And now its approach uh, is the one most other digital companies with big media ambitions, Google, Amazon, Yahoo, are looking to pursue. That is to become like television. So is television eating the Internet?
1: Uh, I don't know, Mark. I mean, is it, is it unbundling time for TV? See, I'm not sure we're seeing a disruption of anything, at least not yet. Right. So what happens? So Netflix proves that video programming can be reliably streamed and that there are, you know, other ways to reach audiences besides pay TV. Okay, so now here comes HBO, CBS, I think Univision is is came into this this whole, you know, online streaming. And soon you're gonna see others who are declaring that now they offer a direct to consumer option in addition to their pay tv business right so the big question to me is does that mean that people are going to drop their cable subscription and pay for only what they want to watch say you know subscribe to netflix or amazon prime and then some a la carte programming like hbo and cbs maybe i don't know
0: what i mean what do you think Well, I think the the genius of this is that let's pretend you're HBO. The statistics indicate that if I'm an HBO subscriber and I say, you know what, I don't want all the cable trappings, I just want HBO. Let me go buy HBO Go and skip the rest of the the, the cable trappings. Uh, The amount of money that I'll pay for HBO Go um, all goes to HBO. Right now, the amount of money you pay for HBO proper doesn't all go for HBO. So actually, every time HBO cannibalizes themselves with a new viewer on HBO Go uh, over the top, they're better off.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, exactly. So is this, what is this really about? Maybe this is about HBO and CBS trying to gain leverage with the cable companies, right? Over retransmission fees and other, I mean, HBO has an agreement right now that once the cable companies surpass a certain level of HBO subscribers, Mm They get to keep all of the revenue from additional customers. Mm -hmm. But once once these guys offer their own option, streaming internet service option, then when they go to the negotiation table on these contracts and on these agreements, they're going to say something like, hey, look... um, we need an increase in fees or we're just going to tell our viewers to stream the channel online.
0: That's right. I think you're totally right. I think it's much more about the power of leverage. I think it's much more about uh, who the power players are in the media space. I mean, Comcast alone has tremendous leverage over uh, these networks. So if the networks are able to say to Comcast, well, you know, we can take you or theoretically under this scenario, we can leave you, uh, then they've got another uh, uh, another, uh hand to play. Comcast, meanwhile, can say, well, now we got two lanes of internet speed, so we got another hand to play too.
1: That's right. I mean, and and, yes. so HBO can say, we can take you or we can leave you. Unfortunately, the consumer can't, right? The cable companies still have a stranglehold over high-speed internet. So what's going to happen if we all start unbundling? What's going to happen to our internet bill?
0: (laughs) <laughs> you know? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because some of the analysis I've seen on that indicates that those in the cable industry, in the premium cable industry, who've done the math, who've said, let's suppose we take all the people who actually watch us, not all the people who necessarily subscribe to the platform, and we were to um, convert them to a subscription um, fee. What would the dollars have to be in order to for us to come out uh, equal or ahead? And the answer is for most... <laughs> For a lot of these cable uh, channels, the answer is maybe $2 a month. I mean it's not actually as high as we like to we, – we have this vision of every channel equals $10 a month because I desperately need to see NCIS LA on CBS Over the Top. Um, that's not the truth of it. The truth of it is that the actual cost that they need to charge is more like $2 a month. And when you add up all the channels you watch on average, which are for any given person, I don't know, 10 to 20 channels, you end up with what theoretically is a really manageable cable bill, so to speak.
1: Well, that, that would be nice to see. I mean, what's, so what's going to happen? I mean, you know what's going to happen. The young internet savvy viewers who aren't cable customers, they're going to pick up things like HBO Go, right? Mm-hmm. Now, depending on the content. Right. I mean, is this is this a, a live channel with new Breakthrough content? Or is it a library of old shows like The Wire
0: and The Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire? Because look, I get those now on Amazon Prime. Well, but again, I think the the what really and, – and you're paying for Amazon Prime. That's right. And Amazon is paying the networks for the rights to distribute the programming. So I think what this really adds up to more than anything is more distribution – more distribution channels, more distribution channels demanded by consumers, on demand, place they want, time they want, way they want, and not constrained to the linear, you know, the linear constraints of the uh, the television channel or the cable channel, whatever it will be. I mean, that's just what it means. And what it also means is, again, it's an illustration of the power of content, the power of premium content. Because without premium content, without content that's worth paying for, it's not worth $2. It's not worth dollars—it's not worth anything, right? That's right. I mean, content
1: remains the precious and valuable commodity, and distribution is increasingly going to
0: compete for it. Right. I mean, uh, Wolf says in this piece, unlike digital media, television is not a flat and long-tail world. It's about the hits, those unique moments of creative synchronicity that give you amazing power and the wherewithal to bundle. And indeed, That's the game digital media more and more wants to play. To get hits, you need a way to finance duds, without which you can't have hits. That's called TV. (laughs) I'm with you.
1: Look, this is certainly the most disruptive, cord-cutting news the industry has encountered but we're, we've yet to see how this is going to play out.
0: That's right. It's really going to be interesting. But I think anybody who assumes that it's just, well, here's another network with another over-the-top option for $10. dollars i got to add that into my other three over the – they're not seeing the picture clearly. It's much more about distribution options. It's much more about leverage with distribution partners like Comcast. Um, And it's much more about giving people at the, uh, you know, at the edges of the distribution channel content the way they want it if they happen to want that additional um, uh, uh, channel. Hey,
1: And Mark, it could be the trend that everyone's trying to do online, which is develop a direct relationship with your customers, right? Because HBO Go, they're now going to be able to track and analyze real-time viewer data when people watch, what they watch, when they pause, ratings, searches. And that supposedly is going to give them insights into how to improve the offering. I mean, big data is great, but you can't gain insights from big data unless you have access to the data.
0: Very true. You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Topic two, it's the coming ad colossus that could dwarf Facebook and Twitter. It's Pinterest. Now, this really surprised me, Tom. Um, The article is uh, from uh, Forbes and it's called Inside Pinterest, the Coming Ad Colossus that Could Dwarf Twitter and Fitter and (laughs) Twitter and would (laughs) be great names for (laughs) platforms, by the way. And um, now I don't know that everybody really understands uh, Pinterest. Um, Pinterest is one of those platforms that certain people think about intensely and certain other people ignore. This is from the article, a visual social network where people create and share image collections of recipes, hairstyles, baby furniture, and just about anything else on their phones or computers. Pinterest isn't yet five years old, but among women who make up over 80% of its users, it's already more popular than Twitter, which has a market capitalization of more than $30 billion. Their user base, they're in the U.S., puts it in a league with both Twitter and Instagram, during the 2013 holiday season, Pinterest accounted for nearly a quarter of all sharing activity, all social sharing. And among social networks, only Facebook, with its 1.3 billion users, drives more traffic to web publishers. I mean, those are some statistics I think that are easy to forget, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me. I mean, I went on and had to spend some time with this. I, just to imagine a, a $4 billion social scrapbooking website. Um, it just, it's amazing. But if you think deeply about what's going on here and why they sold out these ads in this test they did, and I think this article is, is less an article about Pinterest and it's more like a 21st century media branding manifesto because the why behind Pinterest's inevitable advertising success, which is quite simple in principle, but increasingly difficult to pull off is the key to all of media brands' future success, of all brands, really, and that's, in a word, relevance. Hmm. Pinterest advertising appeals to a very specific audience and focuses their messaging to their particular immediate desires. I mean, what you call their jobs to be done, right? Their various boards. Mm -hmm. You put up this board, it's, hey, look, I'm redecorating or I'm trying to do my garden or whatever it happens to be. So, you've got this visual aspect that's really compelling. So, right, you've got Google, which responds to search inquiries, but you don't have this visual aspect. These Pinterest ads can stimulate new desires by doing something visually appealing with in relevant content. You know what I'm saying? That's
0: that's so important because in the the article kind of makes this point that when you think of Google, you you you're searching for something. I mean, Google makes its money by people who are searching for something specific. Right. Pinterest is much more a canvas for discovery, right? right? That's it. A exact. canvas for discovery and the, and and you actually are led to things indeed you were not searching for, things that are relevant as you put it to my interest and thus things which I might want to buy. Here's the way the 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 founders of of Pinterest kind of laid it out, and I really like their metaphor here. They said, Facebook is about your connections, your past events and memories. Twitter's value remains stuck in the now, promising advertisers a presence in real-time conversations about the World Cup, a presidential election, a TV show. If Facebook is selling the past and Twitter uh, Twitter the present... Pinterest is offering the future. It's about what you aspire to do, what you want to do down the line. And the future is where marketers want to live. That's your point, right?
1: Absolutely, and here's the brilliant part. Pinterest lets users create that focus through their choices Mm -hmm. of what to collect and to share. Pinterest isn't doing it. The users are creating this future focus on what they want and what they're trying to achieve. All Pinterest is going to do is align the marketers' messages and, and you know whatever their products and services that can help bring that future about specifically targeted to those particular users. It's powerful.
0: It is powerful. And, the, and listen to this paragraph. For now, advertising is Pinterest-only revenue line. But it requires only the tiniest leap to conjure a scenario in which the company acts as middleman for the hundreds of thousands of retailers already showcasing their wares on its platform. The next step will be how do we make it really easy for you to go out and buy that ring or take that trip? And that, I think, is really the key that makes – that, that's the essence of what, what this article is talking about is when you can allow people to kind of shorten the distance between my desire and my aspiration through this middleman called Pinterest it's not about searching for trips it's not about searching for rings it's about being inspired right to, for this ring and I click that button and boom now I'm on a uh, um, I'm on a consumer trajectory right yeah I well, mean, it's it, yeah. it's so powerful
1: and and, beyond, and, and and see it's not it's not just the ring because you may be creating a pin board for a wedding. Right. And then all of a sudden, you see something that you didn't even imagine before to bring that wedding to life in a bigger way. It's right there now. So you don't have to think about it and search for it. They brought it to you and brought it to life.
0: That's a good point. And the article makes that point too that you know it's not like people generally aren't doing uh, boards for um, outdoor furniture. They're doing boards for outdoor living. right. You know, they're not doing boards for rings, for wedding rings. They're doing boards for weddings. that's right. And that is a much broader experience. So you're absolutely right. A really fascinating article. I agree. Time for rants and raves, Tom. What do you have this week?
1: Oh, you're not gonna like this one, but I, listen, we're, <laughs> we're, no, you're not going to. I mean, we're heading into the final days of election season and I am, <laughs> I just feel compelled to rant at the at this political polarization. I mean, the tearing apart of America and it's fueled by various news media. It's like mm. CNN and Fox News. I mean, the atmosphere is growing more and more toxic so i'm going to rant at this i recently watched a video clip of a cnn anchor i think it was carol costello Mm -hmm. and she appeared on camera to be giddy i mean gleeful over a recently released audio clip of bristol palin who was giving her account (laughs) to the police of of an altercation that that she was involved with in the family So Mm -hmm. so you've got Palin on this audio recording. She was quite emotional. She's reporting to police that her sister was assaulted, that she was also assaulted by someone she's never met. And this news anchor, Carol Costello, she's happy about this piece of, it's not news, I don't know what you call it. She said, I'm just going to come right out and say it. This is quite possibly the best minute and a half of audio we've ever come across. (laughs) Mark, seriously? I mean, now we've got the news making light of a, of a young woman's misfortune. And for what reason? To appeal to the most base level emotions of the extreme left. Absolutely. Who revel in the personal misfortunes of anyone on the extreme right. And this extreme political bias and mean-spiritedness, it goes both ways. So I'm, I think it's sad, and, I, and I'm personally kind of sick of it. And I'm reminded of a, a quote by the late, great English photographer Cecil Beaton. He said, if you wanna succeed in life, in business, be daring, be different, be impractical, be anything that will assert integrity of purpose and imaginative vision. Mm -hmm. So news media, I'd say grow up, show some integrity of purpose, report the news, educate us, inspire us, but please spare us this pettiness
0: and meanness and negativity we're drowning in it. We don't need any more. We're drowning in it. We don't need any more. And yet we are drawn to it like bees to honey, aren't we?
1: That's why they do it, Mark.
0: That's why they do it. Um, I have a rave this week, which again, is becoming my norm doing raves. Good. I don't know. Something <laughs> must be wrong with I hope with we're me. not going to be known for this. <laughs> I know. I don't want to be famous for that. So, so, okay. We're in the picture, um, an organic food fair in the Netherlands. This is, I hope you haven't seen this. This came from Adweek. No, I haven't. Um, organic food fair in the Netherlands. And two guys decide that they're going to see just how far they can push the limits of tolerance for uh, food in this organic food fair. So they bring along food from their favorite restaurant called McDonald's. <laughs> and they, <laughs> they essentially neuter. You know, McDonald's references to the food. They take the chicken McNuggets, they cut it up in little pieces and put a little stick through it. And, you know, they, they set up their booth and they have this video interview of these organic food experts evaluating um, their food at this fair. And it's just unbelievable because the critics, first of all, the critics love it, Right. <laughs> Dis- they describe it, if you watch the video, I'll put the link in the uh, show notes. But you watch the video, they'll say it's tasty, the structure is good. Um, one guy said it tastes like fish. Now we're talking about chicken McNuggets here, <laughs> it's very rich, lots of different flavors. Um, they were asked finally, uh, and they, they, they didn't disclose that these this was McDonald's food, but they did ask some of the people, so how, what would you say is the difference between this food and the food you would get at, say, McDonald's? And people would say, oh, this well, this tastes a lot better. It's a lot richer. It's better for you. It's pure. One guy mentioned pure five times. So at the end of this, they said, well, what have we learned from this? And the answer they said was, if you tell people something is organic, they'll believe it. <laughs> and I just love this. And then, What's again what I find so entertaining are usually the comments to the article. And here's and this is an ad week. So these are advertising people uh, reading and replying and commenting on this. One guy writes, "The only reason this food seemed to taste better was due to bias we all have about everything. Value attribution, the halo effect and suggestion. It's basic <laughs> marketing 101. If I describe celery as celery, it tastes blah. If I describe it as organically grown late harvest root vegetable," then it tastes like I'm willing to pay an extra dollar for it. So all this video does is sell that underlying psychology, the power of language and the power of suggestibility. Basically, it sells what we do for a living. It really says nothing at all about the actual food. And I thought, (laughs) (laughs) so is this what you do for a living?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Look, the lesson is is, is simple. Context creates expectations, (laughs) which in turn creates experiences. So I don't know. I don't know what that tells you about what McDonald's should do.
0: <laughs> I think McDonald's should say it really does taste great. It's worth far more than you're paying. We're underpricing it, and our advertising agency isn't helping us any, according to this there, guy. There you go.
1: That's the lesson.
0: <laughs> That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or on Stitcher or now at Podcast One. And while you're there, please rate the show. It does help other folks discover us. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments, won't you, using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Extra special thanks to the new producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T dot com. For the fabulous Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thanks for listening.